0: I invite you to turn in God's word this evening to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. We'll be reading the first 14 verses of 2 Kings chapter 5. Let's hear then God's word to us about one of those of the nations who hears the word of the Lord and comes to a cleansing. This is a picture for us as well, not only of God's great and glorious power and work and of the responsibilities we have, but this is a picture of how it is that God adds to his beautiful vineyard. 2 Kings 5, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord So Naaman went in and told his lord. Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. Are not Abana, Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word. Is It is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. As far the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Dear Lord, once again we thank you for this privilege and opportunity that we have this Sunday evening to come and worship you and we thank you for your holy word and this passage that was just read and we ask that you guide Pastor Bob with the words that you have given to him and please be with us as a congregation again to open our hearts and our minds to this word and apply it to our lives so we can live for you dear Lord this we ask in your name amen and amen three things we want to look at as we consider this man called Naaman this evening, first of all, his condition, secondly, his witnesses, and thirdly, his healing. His condition, his witnesses, and his healing as our three main points. We are introduced to him in the first verse, and commander of the army of the king of Syria. Note, he is not the king, but he's the one who was behind the success of the king. He is the one who has won the great military victories. But I'd have you note that his military victories have been because the Lord had given victory. This is kind of an interesting circumstance and situation in the fact of here we have a foreign man, a commander of a foreign army that God is blessing, giving victory after victory after victory to. Because that is God's providence. That is the way that God sometimes works in life. He is blessing Syria in order that the stature of Naaman may increase, in order that the cleansing of Naaman might bring to himself glory and honor. Naaman. But it's interesting, look at the words we have about this man. I, I'm not sure, and, and I was, I kind of went through it and started to think, okay, who are who are some people in Scripture who, when we are introduced to them, are not believers, are not Christians, okay, are not followers of God, yet we read great words about them. And I thought, I don't think there are too many. But listen to what God tells us about Naaman. Not only is he the commander of the army, not only was, verse 1, he a great man with his master, not only is he in high favor with the king, of course he wins many victories. Of course that would be true. But notice as we come to the end of verse 1, he was a mighty man of valor. That's pretty high praise to say that somebody is a mighty man of valor. It, it's not a mighty man in terms of the sword, it's not a mighty man in terms of battle, it's in terms of valor. And I tried to think of all the different ways in which you can kind of try to define what valor is. I guess one of the ways you could say is it's integrity, it's loyalty, it's commitment. All sort of rolled into one. He is a mighty man of valor. Those of you who perhaps have served in the military might even be able to give us a a better understanding of that, particularly if you have served in a war and you have seen people under pressure. That's what this word is coming from, that a man who has been under pressure, he's been in the pressure cooker of battle. He has emerged as a man of valor. That's pretty high praise given to this man. That's why the next line almost hits us hard as well because we've just described a, a pretty impressive general. I think there, there's probably quite a few of you, I know there's quite a few of you who enjoy reading military exploits. You, you love reading the biographies or the autobiographies of military generals. There, there is something about that that kind of captivates us and catches us. Well, so does those those opening words about Naaman. They catch us. But then all of a sudden, here comes that, that ending. But, but, he was a leper. Now, at first glance, we may be saying, well, if he's a leper, how does he get to do all the things that he's doing? How does he get to be a military commander? Well, let's remember, what is he? He is not an Israelite. He is a Syrian. The Syrians do not operate by Leviticus 13 and 14. Leviticus 13 and 14 are God's laws regarding how a leper was to be treated, how he was to be handled and all the procedures that went along with it and and all the things that were unclean. I couldn't help but think this morning when Uh, Brother Vandermeer was talking in that Hindu society, that caste system of those who are considered to be the unclean. Israel had their own. They're the lepers. They're the unclean. So much so that the leper, if somebody were approaching, as you well know, had to cry out, unclean, unclean. They were not allowed to live within the city gates. They had to live outside of it as well. They couldn't go to the temple. They couldn't worship and so on. But this guy's a Syrian. Leviticus 13 and 14 don't apply. Nor do we know the extent at this point of his leprosy. Now it's obvious he's concerned. It's obvious the king is concerned. They want Naaman kept alive. The king has a vested interest in that. So one would think that the leprosy, if it wasn't advanced, had the potential and they knew it. That's why they need to deal with it. But he was a leper. No matter what else you say about Naaman, the thing that comes out of the pages of Scripture is this fact. He has some sort of incurable skin disease that if we put it in the context of 2 Kings chapter 5 is going to end his life or debilitate him to such the extent that he can no longer function as the military commander. But there's another thing about Naaman we we have to know and underscore. He is a pagan. As the page of Scripture opens, we are met with a man who is a pagan. He is a worshiper of a god by the name of Rimmon. If we had read farther... Into chapter or into verse 18, okay. Uh, he, he asked from uh, permission from Elisha in this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the house of Rimmon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, when I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. And he said to him, Go in peace. So he, he's making a distinction then, but that's after the story, and we'll come back to that in a minute. But the idea is, as the story begins, he has no qualms about going to the house of Rimen. Now, who's Rimen? Well, in the Syrian way of thinking, Rimen is the god of small g, excuse me, god of storms, god of thunder, and god of rain. And you might say, that sounds familiar. Isn't there another god that's supposed to be that god? Yes, that's Baal. But that's to the Canaanites. So you have all these various groups. They all have their own gods. The gods basically function over the same thing in their thinking. But they have different names. So if this story were in the land of Canaan, we would have had, he's a pagan. Why? Because he goes to the house of Baal in Syria. You go to the house of Rimen. That's the name of the god who supposedly controls the storms and the thunder and all that sort of stuff. But there is a little added thing here. This this term Rimen sort of adds the, the idea of a god of the storms and wind and so on par excellence. In other words, they saw him as the god above all gods. Which kind of adds into the story, right? He is worshiping a god that's not considered somewhat on the side, and there might be others. This is the god, Rimen, who is the god above all gods in their way of thinking, in their pagan thought. So why hasn't he been healed? He worships this god, but he's still a leper. So there, 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 there's the understanding then that this God that they're worshiping is not a God who can heal him from this disease. And, and there, there's, you, you can tell as you read through the story that this is disconcerting to them. That's one of the things that you and I need to be looking for. If we're going to be effective witnesses of the gospel, One of the things to keep our eyes out for are those who are disconcerted, whose lives are in upheaval, who are searching, who are looking. God has brought this about. God brought leprosy into Naaman's life to confront his belief in Rimen. And because that is happening, this becomes the opportunity now to speak out. So secondly, let's look at his witnesses. Verse 2 introduces us to one. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel. And she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Didn't she just love her? Okay. Well, that's all we have. We don't have her name. Okay. We don't have the town she's from. All we know is she's an Israelite. And and she is so much like a child, right? Just blurts it out. Okay? Just blurts it out. Oh, my master's got leprosy. <laughs> It'd be nice if he went to the prophet who is in Israel. Notice, not he might, not perhaps but with that childlike faith says he would heal him. What an interesting thing, right? The very man who has captured her, the very man who has taken her away from not only her country, but her family, and who knows, he might very well have killed her parents, killed the rest of her family, Speaks up. A little girl. Little here means small. We're not given an age, but we would take it because the, the, just the way of, in the, of the culture. She is younger than 12. Else she would be considered a woman. But the emphasis on the fact that she is not a girl, but the fact that she is a little girl, a small, the word little here means small, would indicate very young. It would not be out of the realm of possibility that here we have a six, seven-year-old girl taken away from family who cares enough who has faith enough, who has confidence enough, who has compassion enough, for they're the man who's taken her away. If you just go to the prophet in Israel, you'd be cured. Sometimes our children, perhaps in their innocence and in their blurting out things are actually being a better challenge to us. Perhaps you've been through the store and you're pushing them and they're riding in the shopping cart and they make some reference to God. Too often our responses are shh, shh. Not here. Not here. Too often when our children perhaps have said something about Jesus Christ, when we've gotten them in the car, we've had a little lecture and said, you know honey, there's appropriate time for speaking about Jesus and sometimes there's an inappropriate time. That wasn't good for you to say that how often it is we want to stifle the mouths of our children. I think we have a clear example here in Scripture from this little girl who speaks out boldly, who speaks out with faith, who speaks out the necessary word of the Lord. Because that's what she does. She is a witness, to name it. It, The whole thing starts with her, right? But it starts with her, why? Because she has a knowledge of the Lord. She is aware of the Lord. She is aware of the prophet of the Lord. She is aware of the power of the Lord. She is aware of the fact that God, Yahweh, is indeed the self-sufficient one, the one who is almighty, the one who is all-powerful. She didn't learn it in Syria. You learned it back in Israel. That's one of Naaman's witnesses. Go back. He's a commander of the army. A great man with his master in high favor. A mighty man of valor. Who listens to the voice of a little girl taken as captive. Oh, how God can work. And move and break the hearts of hard and stubborn pagans. She had an opportunity and she wasn't quiet. She opened her mouth and said, If only he'd go. Now, notice what happened. it's sort of like, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? There is no dismissing this. The wife doesn't dismiss it. Naaman doesn't dismiss it. Even the king of Syria doesn't dismiss it. Everybody listens to this little girl. It's not like they go, oh, it's just a little girl. We don't have to pay attention to it. Look at how things move. So Naaman went in and told his lord, thus spoke a little girl from the land of Israel. The king of Syria said, go now and I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. Nations are moving, kings are being swayed because of the mouth and witness of a little girl. But that's not his only message, right? Sometimes I, and I've done it myself in preaching through this particular passage, have kind of stopped there with a little girl and it's like, yep, there's his witness. No, no. That's one of the witnesses, but it's not the only one. There is another witness that appears. Now, let me just reiterate the story quickly. So the letter goes to the king of Israel. Why? Because the king of Syria figures that the guy who is king ought to be the guy who is closest to the God. The problem is the guy who's king of Israel is far away from God. He figures this is just some sort of ploy to get him involved in some sort of war. So he's all upset. Elisha hears about it and says, what are you so upset about? Send the guy to me. We'll take care of this. This is nothing for the Lord. See, the king doesn't believe that. The king doesn't believe that the Lord can cure a man of leprosy. Elisha says to the king of Israel, send him to me. We'll take care of this. But here's the interesting thing. When the guy, when Naaman shows up at Elisha's doorstep, Who speaks with Naaman? Well, look at verse 10. And Elisha sent a messenger to him. I thought about this, and I thought, okay, Naaman's at the door, Elisha's in the house. Why doesn't Elisha just go out the door and speak to Naaman? Two answers. One, what's Naaman got? What's Naaman have? Leprosy. (laughs) Do you go out the door and meet Naaman the leper? No. Why? Because Elisha is under Levitical law. He is going to obey the Lord because that's part of what this whole passage is about. Are you going to obey the Lord or aren't you? But he sends the message. And then that word just kind of pops out at you, doesn't it? He sends a messenger. How does God convey His word to people? He sends His messengers. See, Elisha is the prophet of God, Elisha speaks the word of God. God could have had Elisha go out, yes. But I think they, God is illustrating something to us. We don't need Elisha to bring the message. You don't need the pastor to be the one to come and to talk to your friend who is an unbeliever. We take the message of God And we become messengers with the message of God. We become those who take the word of God that is given to us, that we receive, that we take in, that we bring to those in the world. I don't need to go meet with your friend. Let's just put it this way. I don't need to go meet with your friend who is stubbornly refusing to join church because they don't think they need to be part of organized church in order to be saved. You don't need me to go there. You have the word of God. You have the parable of the tenant. You have it. It's there. You have Isaiah chapter 5. You have it. That's where we were this morning. You take the message that is given to you. That's what this messenger does. He is given a message. He takes the message to Naaman. That's why the sign is up there above that door. You're now entering the mission field. You, you, why? Because you've taken the message, you hear the message of God, and now you take the message of God to those who are the namans of this world. This is the way God works. There are no revelations given to Naamans. Now, sometimes I I think when we're working with somebody, perhaps we're like, Oh, Lord, just reveal to him. Lord, just open his eyes. Lord, may a lightning bolt, may may some word appear in the sky. No, you're the word in the sky. You're the lightning bolt. You're the messenger. We're the ones who are called to convey the message of God to the Naamans of this world to the pagans of this world, to the lepers of this world, to all those who are without Christ, to those who are outside of the vineyard, we bring the message of God's love and care, the message that he loves his vineyard so much What's he going to do next week in that passage? But he's going to send his own beloved son. This is the message. So he has two witnesses, doesn't he? The slave girl who informs him of the prophet that that is where he can find his cleansing. Two, he has a messenger from Elisha that tells him what to do. And, of course, that gets us all into the verse 10, go and wash in the Jordan seven times, your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. How does Naaman react to the messenger? In a rage. He storms off. He doesn't want to hear the word of the Lord. That's what he's hearing, right? The messenger has brought the word of the Lord. How does he respond? I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to do it. He responds in a rage. What's the likelihood of when you bring the word of God to someone? They're going to respond in a rage. They're not going to like it. So do we change the word of God? So the messenger heard from Elisha. This is what you're telling him. And the messenger thought, boy, Naaman's not going to like that. So let me make this a little bit easier. Naaman, go back to Damascus. Find one of the rivers of Damascus and wash there seven times. See, I got kind of the basic of it. No, he doesn't change the message. People do not want by nature to hear the word of God. We are at war with God. We are enemies of God. Naaman himself says, I was expecting you to just come on out, wave your hand over me, and I'd be cured. I had the way I wanted this to be. And God says, no, it's not going to be your way, Naaman. We don't compromise the message to fit the need of the person. He brought the message of the Lord and Naaman responds in anger and a rage. And what does he do? He goes the opposite way. So then I ask myself, as I'm working my way through the passage, and you just work it with it, with me now. So the end of the passage, Naaman's cured. How did, how did that come about? Well, he's got to turn around sooner or later, right? He's got to go back to the Jordan. What is it that causes him to turn around? See, it's not the little girl. The little girl got him there. The word of the Lord actually drove him from there. So what is it that that finally hits Naaman and says, okay, I'll go around? Well, what does the text tell us? And I think these are the guys we often miss, okay? We, We miss these men, right? Verse 13, see verse 12, he went away in a rage. 13, but his servants came near and said to him, my father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? And what's the next thing we read? So he went down and dipped himself seven times. Who else is a messenger here? These other servants. Now it's interesting, in every one of these cases, the girl is unnamed, the messenger from Elisha, although some people suppose it's Gehazi. I, I don't know if we can make that direct connection. Is unnamed, at least in the text. And these guys are unnamed. All unnamed people. All in a sense very incidental people. These guys reason with Naaman. They're having an in they're having an argument and they're talking to Naaman from the point of view. Of reason, Christianity, my friends, is not an unthinking religion. I think there's a lot of people today who who, who think that. Well, yeah, we're Christians; we don't think. We just have faith. But we're Christians; we just believe. We really don't think. Is that really true? Is Christianity unreasonable? Is Christianity non-thinking? Oh, I know that's what the world would throw at us. But is it? What makes more sense regarding the existence of this planet? Creation or evolution? What is the more reasonable argument? Really? They reason with them, And it isn't really highfalutin. It isn't filled with biblical text. It's just filled with, he's just asking you to go and wash in the Jordan. You came all this way. You still have leprosy. So Naaman went. He has three witnesses beautiful faith and courage of a little girl, the Word of God, and reason. And what happens? Verse 14. So he went down, dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. Interesting term, right? That we go back to the little child, the little girl. There's a little play that's going on there. And he was clean. So let me ask you the question. How did his cleansing come about? His cleansing come about in the same way that your and my cleansing comes about has the three same components. One, he turned around. He would not be clean today had he not turned around. What do we call that? Spiritually, when a person turns around, what's that called? Repentance. He repented. He went away in a rage. He was angry with God. He was the enemy of God. He wasn't going to obey the word of God. And he repented. So he went down and dipped himself seven times. He repents. What is the second thing? The component of a cleansing. You obey. Notice it's not a partial obedience. It's not a somewhat obedience. It's not, well, I'll go near the river and I'll kneel at the river. It's not, okay, I'll I'll go to the Jordan, but I'm just going to go in once. He does exactly what he was told to do go to the Jordan and wash seven times. He goes to the Jordan and washes seven times. You cannot be cleansed if you do not obey the word of the Lord. Repentance is not enough. You can come to the Jordan but not obey the word of the Lord it was needed it was necessary he had to do it he had to repent but now he needs to obey the clear word of the lord wash seven times believe on the lord jesus christ and thou shalt be saved that's not a suggestion that is a command that's not god saying hey i'd like to encourage you to believe in jesus How often isn't, to some extent, isn't our witnessing a pleading? Oh, come on, please, please. I'd really like it if you'd believe in Jesus. It'd be really nice if you gave your heart to Jesus. Why why don't you just put your faith in Jesus? It's sort of this plead. I don't think when Paul and Silas are sitting in that prison and the Philippian jailer asks, what must I do to be saved? Paul's going, well, you know me try to persuade you. Maybe it would be a good idea. Let me suggest you believe. You want to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a command. It is the word of the Lord. And this is the message of the Lord that you and I are called to bring to this world. We are called to bring to the pagan, to the unbeliever. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And we don't say it and we don't preach it and we don't teach it in shame and we don't preach it and teach it as some sort of plea it's a command it's a command from the one who has all authority and all power the one who commands us go therefore into the world and make disciples of all nations It's a command. Believe. You want to be cleansed? You want a cleansing? You want your sin to be washed away? You want to become clean? You want the leprosy of your sin that sticks to you and is eventually going to erode your heart and soul so that you're going to die and be damned? You want a cleansing? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a third element, and that is gratitude. We see that in his response. Verse 15, then he returned to the man of God. He and all his company, he came and stood before him and said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel, so accept now a present from your servant. Now, there's a whole story behind it, how this works out. Elisha refuses. Gehazi accepts. Gehazi ends up with the leprosy of Naaman. But I think sometimes that element of the story misses the point. Then he returned, he came back. Why? Because he's thankful, he's grateful. and he acknowledges the greatness of God so much so that he comes as we as i read a few minutes ago he comes back to Elisha says you know part of my duties part of my responsibilities as the commander and remember God's given him the success part of my duties as a commander is i got to go with the king when he goes into the temple of Rimen. and i'm going to be i got to i got to Bow like he does. i got to put my knee down. But I'm not worshiping Rimen anymore. Please forgive me for this. And the prophet says, go in peace. I understand. I understand. See, his heart is now to the Lord. He's giving his life out of gratefulness to the one who's healed him. This is the way a cleansing always occurs. This is your cleansing. This is my cleansing. Tomorrow, God desires for someone else to be the Naaman story. What witness will you be tomorrow You're going to be the little girl? Ah, Wonderful. You're going to be the messenger of God's word? Fabulous. You're going to be the friends with reason? Great. Because God wants more in his vineyard. And when the last vine is planted, Christ comes. And to that day, we go out with the message. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you. This Old Testament account, such a thrilling episode not only because it reveals your power and your might to cleanse a leper, but because it reveals your grace to us. And it reveals our responsibility as those who have been cleansed. Thank you for that which you have done in us. And we thank you for that which you will do through us. To you belongs the honor and the glory and the praise. And God's people say, Amen.